I invite you to take your copy of Scripture now and turn to Psalm, Psalm 81. And uh, if you're using one of the black Bibles that's provided in the chair there for you or in one of the pews, then you will find our passage on page 491 and 492. 491 and 492. Psalm 81. Uh, For those who are joining us for the first time this morning or if you've been away for a while, uh, we have been in a series in Psalms. And so uh, this morning we come to Psalm 81. And I'm going to read the psalm in its entirety. And then we'll consider what God has to say to us from His Word. Psalm 81, beginning in verse 1. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Mirabah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward Him, and their fate would last forever. But He would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Amen. This is God's Word. Let's pray one more time, okay? Father, we pray that You would help us now, and Lord, we ask that You would remove any dullness or apprehension that would prevent us from hearing and receiving Your Word. And Father, we pray that You would open us up, make us vulnerable and willing to receive all that You have for us in Your Word. And so, Father, help us now. Give us faith to believe, and may we walk in the goodness of what You have for us here in Your Word. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, all of us got up early enough this morning to get here, and I'm glad you did. It's good to see all of you, and I'm thankful that you're here I know that for many of us, our bodies protested otherwise. We could have easily slept another hour or two, but we rolled our weary carcasses out of the bed, right? And we got up just in time to get a shower and to get a little something to eat maybe and to get dressed, perhaps get the kids ready or at least to the point where they're somewhat presentable. Hopefully you got a chance to brush your teeth. And we all got here. 
But why? Why are we here? What are we doing on a Sunday morning at Crawford Avenue Baptist Church? You know that right now, the golf courses and the grocery stores are hopping. You know right now that there are a segment of people that are getting a head start out to the lake, right? Especially on Father's Day. And so why are we here? What are we doing this morning on a Sunday morning gathered together in this place? Well, our psalm this morning provides an answer to that question. Psalm 81 teaches us that God has called us to worship Him. To worship Him in joyful, obedient worship. And in so doing, we have the opportunity to to, to experience life. Many of you know that right now our church is in a season of fasting and prayer. And so we've set aside the month of June and set aside the month of July to seek the Lord in fasting and prayer. And we're asking people to skip lunch on Thursdays and use that time to pray and to be in the Word. And this week we've asked that as you seek the Lord in prayer that that you pray that we as a church would have a heart of praise, a heart of worship towards the Lord. And so as we look at our psalm this morning and even this week as we're praying and we're seeking the Lord, I want to challenge us to pray and to humble ourselves before the Lord and to ask Him, God, make us a people of worship. Make us a people of praise. Lord, we want to worship You. But oftentimes, we don't know how to worship You. Not the way You're calling us to. Not the way that we should. And so, God, would You Help us. And God provides help actually even this morning in this psalm. As He lays out before us what it means to be a people who faithfully gather together to worship God. With that in mind, I want us to consider from our psalm this morning four characteristics of biblical worship. Four characteristics of biblical worship. And the four are as follows, and these will be our points this morning. First of all, biblical worship is commanded. Secondly, biblical worship is joyful. Third, biblical worship is obedient. And fourth, biblical worship is the good life. So first of all, biblical worship is commanded. We see this in verses 1 through 5 of our psalm. Verses 1 through 5 of the psalm are actually a call to worship. And you see, especially there in verses 1 through 3, that the psalmist is calling the people to play instruments and to sing and to shout to God in praise and in worship. Look there in verse 1 we read, Sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob, Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. And so this is a call to worship. A call to worship God by playing, by singing, by shouting to the Lord. And specifically we see in this psalm that the psalmist is calling the people to worship God at, you see it there in verse 3, at the new moon and at the full moon on our feast day. 
Now, in order to understand what the psalmist is referring to here, we have to understand that the ancient Jewish calendar was marked by the new moon and the full moon. So the new moon and the full moon marked the beginning and the middle of the month. So the new moon here is a reference to the Feast of Trumpets. It was the first day of the seventh month of the year. And on the Jewish calendar, it was actually the beginning of the calendar. And like the name suggests, the Feast of Trumpets, there was a blowing of the trumpet, and the blowing of the trumpet marked the beginning of the new year, and it marked the beginning of a season of repentance in preparation for the Day of Atonement. Ten days, actually, of repentance. Now, not only does the psalmist here, though, recall them to sing to the Lord and to praise the Lord at the new moon, but he also says at the full moon. Now, the full moon is actually a reference to the Feast of Booths. This is another feast that the Lord had instructed the people to observe. It actually took place on the 15th day of the seventh month, so 15 days after the Feast of Trumpets. And on this day... As, named, as the name of the feast indicates, the Feast of Booths, the people were to remember God's deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage and slavery, and they were to praise God for providing them, as they came out of Egyptian bondage and slavery, for providing them with booths, with tents, with tabernacles, where they could dwell and live. And so the psalmist here is saying that they are to shout They are to sing. They are to play and worship God as they observe these feasts. And notice he says in verse 4 that they are to do so for or because it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph. So do you get the point there? It is a statute. It is a rule. It is a decree given by God to the people. In other words, God commands it. God commanded His people to gather together at these feast times, to give Him worship, to give Him praise, to remember His activity and provision and redemption in their lives. Now, of course, we understand as New Testament Christians that we are no longer under the obligation to observe the Old Testament schedule of feast that Israel was to observe. These feasts have been fulfilled in Christ. But we also recognize as New Testament Christians that we are obligated still to gather together as His people and to worship Him. To gather together as His people and to remember His provision and His redemption and His grace and to give Him praise. And we are especially to do this on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says that we are not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Something that I've mentioned on several occasions is statistical data that I think is discouraging and very concerning that as we look at church attenders across our nation, that there is a steady decline in church attendance. And this is not only the case for folks who are leaving the church, but this is the case for those who claim to be faithful members of a church. 
so that years ago, it was more common for someone who would claim to be a faithful member of a church to miss maybe one or two Sundays in a, say, five or six month period. Whereas now it is becoming increasingly common for even those who claim to be faithful church members to only attend two services each month. So faithful church attendance now is being redefined as attending half of the number of times that the church gathers together annually to worship the Lord. Now, I can imagine that there are some people here this morning, and even bringing up the matter of faithful church attendance, you might scream, legalism, legalism. We can't go there. And no doubt, it is true that some Christians and some churches have been legalistic about church attendance. But my friends, I fear that in our fear of legalism, we have completely swung the pendulum to the other end. And surely, my friends, we have to understand, surely we have to be concerned that this is not a good trend among the people of God. This is not a good trend among the people of God that that there would be such a shift in the importance and the value and the esteem of the worship of God among the people of God. Of course, there are legitimate reasons to miss worship on a Sunday morning, sickness or some type of physical handicap, or perhaps you're involved in a profession like the medical field. Of course, hospitals have to be open on Sundays. But we also recognize that this is not the reason for the dramatic decline in church attendance in our nation. Rather, the reason for the dramatic decline in church attendance is a dramatic shift in priorities. Priorities that represent hearts that have not valued and treasured and esteemed worship as we ought. As I've mentioned before, one of the things that we see in the Scriptures is that when the people of God experience revival, we were talking about this last week, that we want to pray for revival, we want to pray for spiritual renewal among us as a church. And one of the things we see in the Scriptures is that when God sends revival, when He sends renewal to His people, there is corresponding with that a new esteem, a new value, a new appreciation, a new love, a new passion for the worship of God. The people... Gather to worship the Lord because their hearts have been turned to Him. It should concern us that there is a seemingly a growing sentiment in the larger church that gathered worship is optional rather than commanded. And that it is more of a convenience. You know, I'll kind of make it if all the stars line up and I feel good. Rather than a responsibility and an obligation to those who know the Lord. So the first thing we see here in our text is that biblical worship is commanded. But secondly, we see here that biblical worship is joyful. Biblical worship is joyful. In verses 1 through 5, I mentioned that this is a call to worship. And we're going to get to the joyful part here and why this call to worship is a call to joyful worship. But first of all, we need to understand why worship should be joyful. And there are lots of reasons why worship should be joyful. Why worship should lift our hearts towards God. But in the immediate context, the psalmist makes a reference here to these two feasts that have already been mentioned. The Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Booths. And if we think about the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Booths and what they were celebrating, 
There was reason for Israel to sing. There was reason for Israel to play instruments. There was reason for Israel to shout to the Lord. One reason is because they were celebrating a new year, right? New beginnings, new possibilities. They were also remembering God's salvation and deliverance and how he'd redeemed them and saved them from Egyptian bondage and slavery. They were also remembering how God had provided for them and providing tabernacles, booths for them to dwell in when they were cast out of Egypt. And so for all these reasons, Israel had reason to sing and to shout and to play to the Lord. But as I mentioned earlier, these Old Testament feasts were fulfilled in Jesus. And my friends, understand, in Jesus fulfilling these feasts, we have all the more reason to sing and to play and to shout to the Lord. First of all, consider the Feast of Trumpets. I mentioned that in the Feast of Trumpets, there would be the blowing of a trumpet. It would mark the beginning of a new year, and it would mark a season of repentance towards God in preparation for the Day of Atonement. But you know, in the New Testament, we also hear of the blowing of a trumpet. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, we read, For the Lord Himself, that is Jesus, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So Paul tells us that when Christ returns, He will blow a trumpet, and it will be a declaration that He is coming, that He is making all things new. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52, Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Here it is, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. You know, my friends, talk about a new beginning. Talk about a new beginning. At the trumpet of Christ, there will not just mark a new year, but a new age. All things will be made new forever. And we will not enter into a season of repentance towards sin like Israel did, but rather we will forever be done with sin. As the hymn writer has famously written, we will be freed to sin no more. In Christ, we have all the more reason to play and to sing and to shout to the Lord. Or consider the Day of Atonement. We know that in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would bring a sacrifice, an unblemished lamb, and that sacrifice would be offered on behalf of the people. And symbolically, what was happening was that the sins of the people would be transferred to that animal, and the animal would die on behalf, in the place of the people, so that the people's sins might be atoned for, they might be forgiven, and that they might live. But we know that in Jesus, He came to offer a once and for all sacrifice. Do you know that in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb 28 times? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the author of Hebrews tells us that not only is Jesus the sacrifice, He's also the high priest. Jesus is the high priest and the sacrifice. He enters into the Holy of Holies and He offers Himself, His own body, as a sacrifice. Once and for all for sin. So that we might be forever forgiven, redeemed, washed clean, and accepted before God. My friends, the Israelites had reason to play and sing and shout to the Lord, but we have all the more reason. 
We see the day of trumpets here fulfilled in Christ. We see the day of or I'm sorry, the feast of trumpets and the day of atonement fulfilled in Christ, but also the feast of tabernacles. You remember that when Egypt was when Israel was delivered from Egypt, God provided them with feasts, with uh, booths or with tabernacles to dwell in. But John tells us in John chapter 1 that when Jesus came the first time, what was really happening was that God was choosing to dwell. Actually, the word he uses, tabernacle, among us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And then listen how John in Revelation describes the second coming of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, John says, Behold the dwelling place. The, actually, the word he uses is tabernacle. The tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell, he will tabernacle with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. In other words, when Jesus returns again, he will tabernacle among us. He will provide us with a dwelling, and we will never lack a home again. He will dwell with us forever. He will be our God, and we will be his people. And listen, my friends, this is all the more reason to sing and to play and to shout to the Lord. Israel had their reasons for joyful worship, but we have all the more in Jesus Christ. And so one thing, just briefly, I want to do, I want to combat this idea that sometimes people express. Well, you know, when I come to church on Sunday morning, really the reason I come is I'm just here for the sermon. You know, I don't really, I hope you mean I've been in the right way. <laughs> I don't really care about all that singing and music and stuff. I'm just here for the preaching. I've even heard, and I'm thankful that I've never heard anyone in our church do this. I've even heard of folks that say, you know, I just miss all the music and all that preliminary stuff. I just show up and right when the sermon's about to get started, because that's what I really want to hear is the sermon. Listen, my friends, if that is your understanding of the service, of worship, of preaching, let me just say respectfully, you do not understand biblical preaching. All faithful biblical preaching is doxological preaching. What that means is all faithful biblical preaching should lead to worship. It should lead to singing. It should lead to praise. It should lead to playing the instruments to the glory of God. Or otherwise, something is missing. Something is wrong. Faithful preaching is doxological preaching. And so listen, my friends. Are we, are, does this describe, does this describe our worship? Surely in worship and even in preaching there should be times of lament, there should be times of repentance, there should be times of confession, but given all that Jesus Christ has done for us in redeeming us and saving us, I believe the primary accent of our worship should be joy. And does that mark our worship? Is our worship marked by joy, by singing, by playing, by shouting to the Lord for His grace and redemption and mercy and provision? And if not, are we satisfied with that? We shouldn't be. And if we're not, let's ask for it. Let's ask, oh God, would you come and remove all our apprehensions? 
and all the coldness that's in our heart and all the things that would keep us back from giving ourselves entirely to you in worship, would you come and help us to be marked by joyful worship? He can do it. Third, biblical worship is obedient worship. Biblical worship is obedient. This we find in verses 6 through 16. He begins by recalling again God's redemption of Israel from Egyptian bondage and slavery, specifically in verses 6 through 7. But then after that, we get this refrain. We hear it three times in the psalm. It's repeated. This idea of listen. And God is lamenting here in this part of the psalm Israel's disinterest in His Word, that they would not listen. Look there in verse 8. He says, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. Then again in verse 11, But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. Verse 13, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. And what does it mean? What does God mean here when He says He wants His people to listen to Him? Well, actually, if we just look at each one of these occasions, and He explains it to us. So, first of all, in verses 8 through 10, we see in verses 8 through 10 that what it means to not listen to God is to not recognize that God is God alone and that He and He alone is to be worshipped, and we are to look to Him and Him alone for our provision in life. Let me show you this in the passage. In verse 8 he says, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. So there it is. And then in verses 9 and 10 he explains what that means. And basically in verse 9 and 10 what we get is the introduction to the Ten Commandments. It's inverted, actually. It's flipped upside down. But it's basically the same thing that Moses gave to the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 20 when he gave them the Ten Commandments. So first of all, look at verse 10. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's almost word for word what Moses says before he gives the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. And then what is the first commandment of the Ten? Go back to verse 9. Here it is. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, so, so this is, my people would not listen to me. And then he gives them the first of the commandments. I am God, I am your God, and you are to worship me and me alone. And what's the implication of that? If I'm your God and you're God alone and you're to worship me and me alone, what's the implication? The end of verse 10. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Look to me. Look to me alone. I alone am your God and I will fulfill the deepest longings of your life. But they would not listen. They looked to other gods. Look at verse 11. He says, but my people did not listen to my voice. Now, what does that mean? Look at the very next line. Israel would not submit to me. Do you see the parallel? To not listen is to not submit, to, not to obey God. So parents, you're tracking here, right? You tell your kids, did you hear what I said? And they say, yes. 
And why didn't you do it, right? So I did, we get it. If, if you're listening, really listening, you obey. This is what Jesus means when he says, to those who have ears to hear, let them hear. It's not an auditory problem. It's a heart problem. Verse 13. What does it mean not to listen? Oh, that my people would listen to me. Here it is. Notice the parallel. That Israel would walk in my ways. This is what it means to listen. It means to walk in the ways of God. And God has revealed His ways to us in His Word. So listen. As much as I want to encourage us to sing to the Lord in joyful worship, in worship, God is not just looking for singers. God is looking for listeners. He is looking for those who will listen to His Word and revere His Word and honor His Word and obey His Word. And it is oftentimes through God-centered, Word-centered, joyful worship that our hearts are humbled and our hearts are softened to repent and embrace and obey the Word of God. That's why, one of the reasons why preaching is so important in the worship of God. Because in the moment of preaching, we all have the opportunity to quiet ourselves and listen to what God has to say to us from His Word. And surely as we come to God, our primary responsibility is to close our mouths and to listen He has much to say, and it is all good for us. The psalmist teaches us here that true worship leads to transformation. True worship leads to obedience. And listen, none of us obey perfectly. We all sin in various ways. And we can't. This side of heaven obey God perfectly, but we can obey God genuinely and wholeheartedly. Do you remember the man who came to Jesus and he wanted a healing and Jesus said to him, do you believe? And his response was, oh Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Don't you love that prayer? Isn't that so encouraging? God, I believe, I've got this faith here, but it, it's imperfect faith. Will you help me? And Jesus honors that request, and He grants the healing He desires. And my friends, that can be our prayer as a people. Oh God, I believe, will you help my unbelief? Oh God, I want to obey you. Will you help me obey you? When that prayer is prayed sincerely, God always honors it. Faithful worship, biblical worship, is joyful worship. It's obedient worship. But then fourth and finally, biblical worship is the good life. Or we could say biblical worship leads to the good life. Now, this is found in verses 6 through 16. And... Um, 
What we find here, especially in verses 13 through 16, is a reference to promises that God had made to Abraham centuries before. So God had made promises to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he's just one man. And God comes to him and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And when I make you a great nation, at, the point, at this point Abraham had no children. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And those who curse you and curse your nation, they will be cursed. And those who bless you and bless your nation, bless your people, will be blessed. And the nation of Israel that came from Abraham and now is being spoken of here in Psalm 81 is the fruit of that promise that was made to Abraham. They are the descendants of Abraham. But they were not experiencing the blessing that God had promised to Abraham. If you look there in verses 11 and 12, you see they did not listen to God. They would not submit to Him. So God gave them over to stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. They weren't experiencing the blessing that God had promised for them. And this was due to their disobedience. But God is eager to bless them. He's willing to bless them if they will turn to Him. And so this is what we find in verses 13 to 16. God says there, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. And here, here it is. If, if Israel would do that, if they would turn to me, if they would listen to me, if they would walk in my ways, then curses would fall upon their enemies. Look at verse 14. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward Him and their fate would last forever. So the curses would fall upon their enemies and the blessing of God would fall upon them. Verse 16, But He would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. So their enemies would know God's displeasure and they would know God's blessing. Now, listen to what Charles Spurgeon says at this point. This is a little bit of a long quote, but it's worth it. He says, quote, See what we lose by sin. Our enemies find their sharpest weapons against us in the armory of our transgressions. They could never overthrow us if we did not first overthrow ourselves. Sin strips a man of his armor and leads him naked to his enemies. Our doubts and fears would long ago have been slain if we had been more faithful to our God. Ten thousand evils which afflict us now would have been driven far from us if we had been more jealous of holiness in our walk and conversation. We ought to consider not only what sin takes from our present stock, but what it prevents us from gaining. Reflection will show us that sin always cost us dear. If we depart from God, our inward corruptions are sure to make a rebellion. Satan will assail us. The world will worry us. Doubts will annoy us. And through all our own fault, Solomon's departure from God raised up enemies against him. And it would be so with us. But if our ways please the Lord, He will make even our enemies to be at peace with us. End of quote. Now let me just say, by way of clarification, Spurgeon is not suggesting here that faithfulness to God means the absence of all trials. 
Or that if we're faithful to God, that is a one-way ticket to a life of indulgence. You know, big houses and fancy cars and jet airplanes. That's what the prosperity preachers are peddling on TV, right? We don't want to have anything to do with that. But at the same time, we can be so adverse or fearful of what prosperity preachers are peddling that we fail to recognize and even celebrate that the scriptures clearly declare that there are certain blessings that come to those who faithfully seek the Lord. That God loves to shower His people with good blessings. That God loves to give His people, those who are devoted to Him wholeheartedly, good things. That God is a good father and he gives his children good gifts. And notice the gifts he wants to give us. Look there in verse 16. Notice these images. I love this. If they would but turn, if they would worship God in joyful worship and obedience, he would but feed you with the finest of the wheat and with the honey from the rock, he would satisfy you. Now listen, First of all, the first phrase here is the finest of the wheat. Actually, literally in the Hebrew, it's the fat of the wheat. Now, I don't know much about wheat. I confess that. But I assume it's better to have fat wheat than skinny wheat. (laughs) It's kind of like the supersize of wheat, you know? Would you like your wheat supersized? Yes, I would, thank you. And that's what God is offering us. Would you like your wheat supersized? Yes, I would. And he promises honey from the rock. Now, I do know a little bit about honey. I know it's sweet. I know it's delicious. I also know that honey does not come from a rock. But what God is saying here is that if we will turn to Him, He will miraculously make the sweetest of honey flow from the most dry, barren, sterile objects of our lives and communities. Do you want that? Do we want that as a church? Do we want more joy? Do we want more love? Do we want more conversions? Do we want more people coming to faith in Christ? Do we want to send more people to the nations with the gospel? Do we want to raise up more pastors? Do we want more ethnic diversity? Do we want God to break down racial barriers? Do we want God to unify us as a church? Do we want God to send us out on mission? Do we want God to use us to reach the brokenness of our neighborhood? He's offering it. I will satisfy you with honey from the rock, with the fattest of wheat. Come to me and worship me. Give yourself to me in joyful and obedient worship. Let's ask Him for it. Let's go after it hard. Oh, my friends, when we come to worship God on Sundays, let us be done with half-hearted worship. And let us come to seek the Lord. He has good things for us. I remember when we engaged in a season of fasting and prayer several years ago. 
And man, it's hard sometimes, you know, like you get hungry and you get tired and sometimes you don't know what to pray. And then what happened over the next few years was just remarkable. The fact that we're all sitting here in this room this morning is a blessing from God. Some of you don't know this, but a little over two years ago, we went through a church merger. And when I first heard of the opportunity, I thought, there's no way this is going to happen. But let's just try it. And we prayed and we sought the Lord and we fasted. And I'll tell you, it was one of the great joys of my ministry to see over those months how God just removed obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, united two churches together and brought us here today. God's not done. He has more for us. He has more good for us if we will seek Him. And it's all in the context, the psalm here, of faithful biblical worship. Of course, it doesn't stop here. But it's here as we gather together and we're transformed by God as we joyfully sing His praise and humble our hearts before Him and before His Word that He changes us and transforms us, that He meets us and that He promises to do great things. Let's give ourselves to Him in worship and look forward to all that He will do in and through us. Let's pray. God, we're jealous to know your blessing. We don't want to do ministry or life in our own power. And Lord, we know that you offer a honey that is sweeter than anything this world can offer. And Lord, we want that. And so, Father, we pray that you would transform our hearts and our lives. We pray that even in the weeks and the months to come, that you would give us a burden, a desire, a longing, a joy to seek your face. And Lord, we pray for your blessing. We pray boldly because you ask us to. Lord, move and work among us. Do great things for your glory. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.